Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here as we gather to study God's Word again, as we always do on Wednesday nights. It's good to see you and looking forward to what God's going to say to us this evening. Through the summer months, we're not in a study. We're between studies. Uh, and so we finished up Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet. And then we uh, will start August the 30th in First Peter. <clears throat> so that's a series entitled Culture Shock. We'll talk about how the believers in that time period were being persecuted. They were in a culture totally different that was foreign and, and uh, uh, really uh, did not agree with Christianity, much unlike in a culture that we're in today as well. So we're, I think that you'll find it to be interesting, and we'll go verse by verse starting August the 30th into that book of First Peter. Between then, we're looking at different topics and texts, and tonight we're going to look at deacons, uh, deacons at First Baptist Church, but deacons in Scripture. It's that time that we are starting to nominate new deacons, and wanted to do a study on Wednesday night concerning deacons, their roles, what does the Bible say, what do they do, who are they, and things like that. Why don't we have women deacons? Uh, that's a question that always comes up. So we'll look at all of that tonight. I think that you'll find it to be interesting. So let's pray together, and we'll get started. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word uh, with, with your people here at First Baptist Church. God, great people here that you've placed here. We love them and we thank you for them. God, everybody who's joining us online tonight, I pray that you'd bless them as well. Thank you for their joining us each Wednesday night to study your word as well, literally all of the United States. And so I'm thankful for them also. Father, we just pray tonight that you would teach us from your word what you want us to know. We are thankful for our deacons tonight, for the office that you placed uh, in, in, uh, to each local church and pray Father that you'd bless our time together this evening in Jesus name Amen Alright two passages turn to tonight Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 we're going to look at those two passages as we talk about deacons and their roles and so Acts chapter 6 and put a finger there and then turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 so let's get started looking first of all at deacons at First Baptist Church. Letter, first of all, letter A on your outline, the deacon selection process here at First Baptist Church. Let me explain that because <clears throat> really we do deacons, we select deacons differently at First Baptist Church than any other church that I've ever been aware of. I'm not saying it's a bad system. In fact, I think it's a good system, but I've never been a part of a church that's done it this way. First Baptist has done it this way for years. So let me explain the process as to how we get new deacons. Most churches don't have a yearly selection of deacons. Most churches would just, as the need comes up, if they see a man that qualifies, they'll talk to them, go through the process, and then they'll select them as deacons, ordain them. That may happen once every two, three, four, five years or more. At First Baptist Church of Garland, it's not that way. We go through a yearly process of where we decide who's active deacon, inactive deacon, who will be nominated as deacons. So let me explain that process to you. Starting August the 6th, which is coming up in about three weeks, our church members will have an opportunity to nominate men who they think would be good deacons, those that, they, that, that would serve well as a deacon. You can nominate them over a three-week period, August 6th through August 27th. So the deadline is August 27th. What you do is you have a nomination for them, you fill it out, you sign your name to it, and you put the man's name who you think will serve as a good deacon. You can fill out a form here at the church. You can go online, fill out the form. You can let us know in the church office, fill out a form. However you want to do it, it's basically you sign your name and you put the person's name, uh, the man's name, to serve there as a deacon. And the deadline approaches August 27th. 
all the men that are nominated in our church then, we will contact them and let them know that you have been uh, nominated to be a deacon at First Baptist Church. Here are a list of the biblical qualifications. We're going to read them in just a moment. Look at what they mean. Here are a list of the qualifications. Do you think you qualify? And the man will respond back to us and say, yes, I think I qualify and I would be willing to serve. Or they may say, well, I think I qualify, but I really don't feel like I can serve right now because of it. maybe there's a health issue going on. Who knows as to why they can't be an active deacon. But others will say, yes, I feel like I qualify as a deacon and I, uh, and I, I can serve and willing to serve. Of those that say, yes, I'm, I, I do feel like I qualify, then from there we screen them for not biblical qualifications, but two other qualifications that we have as a church in our Constitution and bylaws. One of them is they must attend at least 50% of the time. That's pretty lax, really. I mean, that's only half the time. You, you, hopefully, they'd be here more than that. But uh, f- at least 50% of the time, you don't want to ordain a man that's never here, never active in our ministry, because they need to be active in our ministry. And the second qualification we have as a church, they have to be here at least 50% of the time. Second of all, they must tithe. They must give at least 10% of their income back to the Lord through the local church. Uh, why is that a qualification? Well, because it's a biblical qualification for all believers and you don't want men, I don't, leading your church who are disobedient in other areas of their lives. You want them making decisions and serving and leading out in ways when they're disobedient in other areas of their lives. So uh, they must be a, a tithe and they must come at least 50% of the time. If then they meet those qualifications, some of them don't, but if they meet those qualifications, then they appear before a screening committee. Committee is made up of our current deacons. About five or six of them have a screening committee ask their salvation experience, things like that, uh, how they believe on certain issues of Scripture, things like that. Then from the screening committee, if the, if the men are recommended by the screening committee, they appear before the entire deacon body. If the entire deacon body then asks the same type of questions, and then if we feel like, yes, they qualify biblically, they meet all the qualifications, then they are ordained and then trained in their roles. So once you're ordained as a deacon, you're a deacon for life. You never lose your deaconship. You can be an active deacon or an inactive deacon, or you can be deacon emeritus, but you're always going to be a deacon. Once you're ordained, you're always going to be a deacon. Active deacons are those who are active in our ministry for the coming year, starting uh, October 1st, uh, through for the next year that they're active in our ministry. Uh, those that are inactive are maybe deacons, maybe they have in poor health, maybe their spouse is in pure, poor health, uh, something like that where they're inactive. They're not active in our ministry for that year, but they're still a deacon. Deacon emeritus, those who have served well as a deacon through the years, but they're physically unable to do it anymore. Uh, most of them uh, older, uh, and so we will vote then to make them called deacon emeritus. Deacon emeritus means they can come to deacons' meetings, they can vote everything on what deacons vote on, but as far as serving actively in the ministry, they no longer can do that physically. So that's just an overall summary, and I don't know of any other church that does it that way, but I believe that it's worked well here for us at First Baptist Church. So let's talk about deacons 
uh, from the biblical perspective. So go to letter B on your outline. Where did the concept of a deacon originate? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 6, and let me give you a little background as to what was going on. Jesus ascended back to heaven. Uh, whenever he did, the disciples were told to wait in the upper room until Pentecost. Pentecost came. Peter preached. 3,000 were saved. God used it in a powerful way. and there were, So there were believers down in Jesus that went back to all parts of the Roman Empire. So in every place that a believer went, churches sprang up. Because now you have believers in those locations. They didn't have buildings like this. They would meet in homes. And so in every location, there would be a church spring up in that local church. So God put guidelines as to how those churches should operate in every part of the empire. Which guidelines we still go by today, by the way. And he gave two offices for those churches to operate. Office of pastor, a lead shepherd. And office of a deacon who is primarily the servants of the church. So those are the two offices that he placed there. So that they eventually developed into those. So the main church was the church in Jerusalem. Obviously more believers there than any other location, right? So the main church was the church at Jerusalem. And so the church was beginning to go. We're going through three chapters now. Things are going well. And they had their first problem come up. So when the church was established, it only took three chapters for the first problem to arise. First problem came up, and here was the problem. They would, uh, there would be men in the church who would serve the congregation, and they would give them food for the day, and they would have daily ministrations of food. Well, there were two groups in there. There were Jews, and there were Hellenists. Let me explain what a Hellenist is. A Hellenist was a Jew. Well, a Hellenist was anybody who accepted Greek culture, Greek lifestyle. The, Greek, the Hellenist period in Greece, pretty well from Alexander the Great's death, 323 B.C., Cleopatra's death, 30 A.D. So that time period was known as Hellenism. Why the name Hellenism? Because they worshipped the Greek goddess Helen, H-E-L-L-E-N, Helen, like the name Helen today. Uh, Greeks considered the goddess Helen the most beautiful woman in the world. So they call themselves Hellenes because they worshipped Helen. In fact, today, Greeks like being called Hellenes. Some of them prefer to be called Hellenes rather than being known as Greeks. So, uh, some Jews, after they were saved, accepted the Greek way of life. Still Jews, they just thought the Greek culture was pretty cool to live in. So you have in the church those that are Jews and those that are Hellenists. Well, they didn't quite get along because the Jews would say, you Hellenists are compromised. You're, you compromise into culture too much. We hear that today, don't we? You compromise with culture way too much. You become Greeks, basically. You should be pure Jews. Whereas the Hellenists said, oh, you Jews are too strict. Are you sure you can accept the culture and still live out your faith? Not a problem. So you had both groups in the church. Well, when the daily giving out of the food by the men of the church uh, and by the ministers of the church, the Hellenists began to complain, 
we're not getting as much food as the Hebrew women are because I think you're favoring them over us because they stayed pure and didn't go to the Greek culture. So it was a real problem in the church. So much so that the ministers of the church were having to take all of their time rather than preaching and teaching the word, giving all of their time to take care of the women who were arguing in the church. So here's how the church settled it. Go to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the ministers of the church, we should be prioritizing the word of God. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, and when they, they said, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, prayed, and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, a lot of people say that's where deacons started. Deacons started so to relieve the ministers, so they wouldn't have to do everything, and the ministers could devote themselves to praying and teaching and preaching the Word. And it took a load off of them, the things, the other needs that were going on in the church. Seven men were selected, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and they were overseeing this. Now, a lot of churches will only have seven deacons. first two churches I served in only had seven deacons. No more, no less. We have 120 here at First Baptist. But they, a lot of churches have seven because that was the number selected in Acts chapter 6. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have only seven. They just that's how many they had they needed to take care of the, the so how many do we need to take care of our flock well more than seven and so the where do we have more than seven because we're not specifically told in the bible that you have must have only seven but notice something else do you ever see the word deacon in there for seven verses it's not in there so because of that a lot of people say this is not where deacon started because the word deacon's not even mentioned. So, because of that, a lot of people say the deacons didn't start here in this passage. But others say, well, the concept of deacons, and I agree, the concept of deacons did start here. Of relieving the ministers, doing a lot of the things in the church need to be done. Meeting needs, taking care of people, and giving the ministers the, the, the freedom to do what God's called them to do. So, the concept started here, but the word deacon's not mentioned. However... The word diakonos is there in the Greek. Diakonos is the word for deacon, and it is the word serve tables. If you'll see it, um, what verse is that in? It's not right that we should, verse 2, that we should give up preaching the word of God to 
serve, to diakonos. So the word deacon, one of the words literally means serve or serve tables. Now, that's kind of the background between where the concept of deacons originated. Let's go to letter C. What does the word deacon mean? As I mentioned, it's the word diakonos. It's a compound word, dia meaning through, konos meaning dust. So the word deacon means through dust. Well, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean through dust? Well, it was the picture back in the Greek language of a servant of a master who was, master told him to go do something and he was so eager to go do it, he would take off running to do it and you would see him running to do what the master called him to do through the dust that he would kick up behind him as he ran to do what the master called him to do. So deacons are to be eager servants to do what the master has called them to do and we see them through dust, figuratively, I guess you might say. So that's what the word diakonos, deacon, we get the word deacon from, means through dust. But it can mean several other things. Now, this is going to come important just a moment whenever I talk about do, why don't we have women deacons. The word diakonos has several meanings in the New Testament. It can mean, it means servant, obviously, it's what it means. Uh, it can mean attendant. Somebody who attends to things, to a host or hostess. It can mean civil worker, somebody who worked in the city, was called a diakonos. Uh, someone who waits tables, a waiter or waitress in biblical times was called a diakonos. Uh, someone who performs menial tasks, washing feet or things like that in biblical days, was called a diakonos. By the way, Jesus, when he came, identified as a diakonos, as a servant. So menial task, and it also meant an officer of the church, pastor and deacon. So every time you see the word diakonos, it can have any one of those six meanings. It doesn't have to be an officer of the church. It could be any one of those servants. So that's what the word diakonos means, used 29 times in the New Testament. So it was a very common word. In New Testament times. Letter D on your outline. What do deacons do? <clears throat> well, primarily they serve. We'll talk more in just a moment about what, how, what that looks like and how they serve at First Baptist Church of Garland. But primarily deacons from Scripture are servants. They are the ones that serve people. They get out there and they meet needs. Now, over the years, deacon in a lot of Baptist churches has come to take on the meaning of those that run the church. I don't know how that concept started, but it's not a biblical concept. So a lot of churches, deacons are not the ones that serve at all. They're the ones that feel like it's their job to run things. So they see themselves as a board of directors or a board of trustees rather than a body of servants. So you'll hear people say deacon board that lets you know what they think a deacon is. Deacon is a corporate businessman of the church. But the biblical concept is a body, deacon body. First Baptist Church of Garland, we call ours a, the deacon body because it's the emphasis on serving not on running the church. 
Every now and then you'll still hear people say the deacon board. It's not a board. It's a body. Deacon body of servants. So you'll see um, my home church that I grew up in, boy, they, they were the businessmen of the church and they ran things. They didn't serve anybody. But boy, they told everybody what to do. They were a frightening group. And I mean, everybody, deacons come up, they were, they were scared. That's not the concept, biblically, of a deacon. It's someone that you know is going to serve, going to meet needs, going to be there to help the ministry of the church and <clears throat> the members of the church and those in the community as well. Question, are they the same as elders? Now, some churches have elders rather than deacons. We don't have elders at First Baptist. Some churches do. Some have both, elders and deacons. Some just have elders but no deacons. So, what, what's the difference? Deacons and elders in the New Testament are very similar as far as qualifications go. They're mentioned alongside each other in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Some Bible teachers say they are one and the same, that an elder is a deacon and a deacon is an elder according to the qualifications of Scripture. Some Bible teachers say that. Other Bible teachers see a slight difference between a deacon and an elder. The elders, it, if you look at the qualifications in, in the Bible, have a little bit more of a direct teaching role in the church, whereas deacons are able to teach, and they're often Sunday school teachers, but that's not their primary role. The primary role is to serve. It's a deacon. An elder, similar, they're servants, but their primary role is to teach. Others see elders as the respected, wise men of the church who are able to give advice. That's kind of how we see an elder here. It's not an official office of the church, just well-respected people who are wise that God's given wisdom through the years. So at First Baptist Church, we see deacon-elder role is similar, and so our deacons are primarily servants first, so there's really no need for us to have elders So because of that. So we have deacons, but no elders. Now, what qualities should deacons possess? That's letter E on your outline. Let's look at that. What qualities should a deacon possess? There are qualifications in the Bible for two offices, pastor and deacon. If you're a Sunday school teacher, there are no biblical qualifications for you. If you're a committee member, there are no qualifications for you in the Bible. Uh, if you are the head of a ministry, no qualifications for you. However, if you're a deacon or if you're a pastor, you have qualifications. There are certain things you need to meet before you become one. So I want us to look at these because you'll have the opportunity to nominate somebody. I don't want you nominating anybody that don't qualify. So don't just nominate somebody because, well, we need younger deacons, and they're a young man, so let's nominate them. Or so-and-so's a great guy. He'd be a good deacon. Well, just because they're a good guy doesn't mean they're going to be a good deacon or that they qualify biblically. So when you're thinking of nominating, make sure that they qualify biblically. So here are the qualifications. Let's look at them quickly. Uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, look at the first seven verses, qualifications for pastor, pastor's wife. But now let's go to chapter 3, verse 8, <clears throat> for, for qualifications for a deacon. 
Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. Now, that does not mean wearing a suit and tie every time you see them. Doesn't matter, doesn't even refer to dress at all. Um, the word is, that's used there, dignified, literally means to worship or to venerate. Now, we don't worship deacons, don't get me wrong, but the, what it means is a man worthy of high character. So, first and foremost, they need to be a man of high character. Secondly, they must be dignified, not double-tongued. What does double-tongued mean? You remember the old phrase, talking out of both sides of your mouth? You say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. They're not to be those kind, they're not to be, the word sincere is used in other translations. It was, a, it was an acting term, actors on the stage in Greek mythology and mostly Greek tragedies, they would put on a mask and they would be another character. And so the word sincere literally means without a mask, uh, which meant they were out of their character and they were who they are. And so deacons should not be people who wear a mask or pretend to be somebody they're not, or not double-tongued. They are to be, <clears throat> excuse me, someone whose their character is high, and they say what they mean. They don't talk out of both sides of their mouth. Next, it says, not uh, addicted to much wine. I'm not going to talk long about this tonight because talking about alcohol is an entire lesson in itself, probably a series in itself. But so I'm just going to make, mention a couple of words, and then I'll and then I'll, I'll move on. But where it says not, you go to the pastors, it says not given any any to any wine. To the deacons, it says not much wine. I believe that you can make a biblical stance for total abstinence of alcohol period. Not just for deacons, not just for pastors, but for all believers. I think, you can, I think you can do that. Now, there's not a direct verse that says, thou shalt never take one drink of alcohol, but I believe you can make a, um, a, a biblical case to be abstinent from it. First of all, the Bible talks a lot about alcohol and only says one good thing about it. The only good thing it says about it is, take some for your stomach. If you have stomach problems. Biblical days, they did not have medicine that was good for your stomach. We do. So there's no need to take it for your stomach's sake in our culture. If, so if you remove that, nothing good, not one good thing. Why would you do something that not one good thing is ever said about it in Scripture, but many bad things are said about it? Why would you even want to have this part of your life? Wine in biblical days, another point, was not the same as our wine today. Uh, it's different. So whenever people say, well, where's wine in the Bible? It's not apples to apples. There was not a distillery, distillation process then like there is today. Greeks uh, had a crude distillation process, but even there's no information even about that until after 100 AD. So in biblical days, it was very crude at best. The alcohol content was not very high. In fact, the word for wine in the Bible can also be translated juice, grape juice, or juice from the vine. So it's not apples to apples, but just saying, well, I had wine in the Bible. It's not the same. Our, our alcohol today is totally different 
alcohol content way up more so than then. So that's just to say, and it's not it's very briefly, I think you can make a case for total absence. Not only that, if you remove all the other ones, think about this. What about your testimony and your witness? Because our culture sees things wrong with alcohol. Let me give you an example. If you were on your way home tonight and you saw me going into the liquor store, would you think anything about it? Sure you would. You wouldn't go, hey, hi, preacher. It's the preacher going to the liquor store. You'd go, what's the preacher doing in the liquor store? Because there is, our culture sees something about it. So that's another issue. Just say, if it's going to hurt your testimony or your witness, not just alcohol, anything, don't do it. Stay away from it. So your testimony for Christ, which is more important than anything you take or drink or do, can stay pure and spotless. So just a few things about alcohol, but we'll move on. Let's go to the next one. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Why would it say that? Because the deacons often handled the money in the early church. And deacons often handle money in many churches today. They do in ours. Many of the money counters, we have a system of who counts and checks and balances and no one's ever alone with it and, and all of that on the money. I, by the way, I don't touch the money. I don't, I, my first day of seminary, they tell you to keep your hands off the money. And so I'm, I'm not touching it. I let men who are well-respected and checks and balances do that. So let they, may they not be greedy for dishonest gain. They need to be respectable when, you, when they're handling the money of the church. So that's, that's one of the, the qualifications. Must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That means they must know Scripture. The mystery of the faith is basically what they've been taught. And they must do Scripture. So, if you know a guy that's a great guy, but he really doesn't know the Bible that much, he doesn't qualify. They must know the faith. They must know the faith. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, knowing it, and practicing it. And then it says, uh, verse 10, and let them also first be tested, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. What does tested mean? Means that they're not a new convert. If some, they just haven't become a Christian, they would immediately make them a deacon. They've been a Christian for a while. They've been, you've tested to see their faith is genuine. They're, they're not new believers, they're believers that have been saved for a while. By the way, Joseph served in Egypt for 13 years before he had a leadership role. And Moses served 40 years in the desert before he had a leadership role. And David even tended the sheep as a boy before he had a leadership role. God often tested his servants before he used them greatly. Verse 11 then talks about their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. In other words, speaking uh, evil about people. But sober-minded, that means serious. Sometimes deacons' wives are like, well, my husband can be a deacon, that's fine. It's not my thing, and I don't care if they're interested, that's fine. Well, that's not being serious about the role. They need to be serious about the role as well. And then faithful in all things. So deacons' wives 
need to be those that are faithful. They attend church. They're here. They're faithful in their faith as well. I'll talk more about that, about deacons' wives, in just a moment. Then we go to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. A couple thoughts. Literally, it means a one-woman man. Now, it was a polygamous society that, into which Timothy was written at Ephesus. A man would have many wives. And Paul says that he should only have one wife. He would be a one-woman man. Second thought is, that's one of the reasons it pro- pre- precludes a woman from being a deacon. How can a woman be the husband of one wife? They can't. And so that's one of the reasons that we believe that pastors, said the same thing about pastors, when pastors mention that the pronoun he is used, when a deacon's mentioned, the pronoun he is used in Scripture, and both are to be the husband of one wife. So a woman can't be a pastor or a deacon and be the husband of one wife. So churches that believe in women deacons and women pastors just overlook that overlooked and say well it's a new day we need to be progressive we need to think inside the box and we need all the other kind of things but they're taking what scripture specifically told us and you either have to ignore it or you have to try to justify it but uh, so let's go to the next one on your outline we'll talk a little bit more about this what what about women deacons letter f on your outline we do not have women deacons at first Baptist church not because we're chauvinists we're not. Or because we think women are less than men, we don't. In fact, women have played a significant role in, in the ministry and the spread of the gospel all the way from scriptural days to today. It's just that it's a matter of roles. God simply didn't assign that role, the role of pastor or deacon, to a woman because of the qualifications that he gives us. That's not my decision. It's not the church's decision. It's God's decision. So we're just obeying what he has told us. So that's why we don't have them. They can't be the husband of one wife. So if the qualifications said they should be, they, they should be the husband or wife of only one spouse, okay, that opens it up to women. Then maybe it does. But it doesn't say that. Scripture uses the male gender to describe a deacon, states he is to be the husband of one wife, meaning this qualification then precludes a woman from serving as a deacon. Serving in a lot of other places. In fact, it was three women. If you ever wonder how Jesus ministered for three years, didn't have a job, how did he live? How did he make a living for three years? We're told. We're told that three women supported him financially so he could minister and preach for three years. Told that in Luke. So, Women supported Jesus in his ministry. Uh, women played a, a role all the way through Scripture, but the office of pastor or office of deacon is, uh, um, is reserved then for the male because of what's used in the qualifications. Now, <clears throat> we mention this. In chapter 3, verse 11, it says deacons' wives should be, and it goes on, some interpret deacons' wives as a woman deacon. Not the wife of this. Not, he's talking about verse 11 is not talking about the wife of a husband, of a, of a deacon, but talking about, about a woman deacon. So some interpret that. 
Um, it would be awkward, and just some thoughts on here on this. It would be a little awkward to talk about male deacons in verses 8, 9, and 10, and then switch topics to women deacons in verse 11, and then go back to men deacons in verse 12 and 13, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of odd to do it that way, if he's talking about women deacons here. That, that would be no textual clue whatsoever. He's changing topics, so he'd have to do that. Another thing, if verse 11 is talking about women deacons, why do they have different qualifications than men deacons? And if it is talking about women deacons rather than the deacons' wives in verse 11, a third office is introduced in chapter 3 for the local church. You'd expect more details than simply be folded into the qualifications of a male deacon. You'd have their own section, you'd think, because both pastor and deacon had their own section. And not only that, the overall context is about a male deacon and his family. Because it talks about raising your children, you should, you should, they should manage their children well. So why would they not talk about wife? It seems to be, the whole context seems to be talking about a wife. Now, the exact same word that's used for wife in verse 11, gyna, which is where we get the word gynecology from, Greek word gyna meaning woman. The exact same word gyna in verse 11 is used in verse 2 of chapter 3 for the pastor's wife. So why would it be pastor's wife in verse 2, but woman deacon in verse 11? This makes no sense grammatically, textually, or in the Greek. So those that say that, I don't think really have a leg to stand on that verse 11 is talking about a woman deacon rather than the wife of a deacon. Now, something else. Pastor wasn't Phoebe a deaconess in chapter 16 of Romans, verse 1. Isn't she called a diakonos? Yes. Let me make a few notes. But remember, the word diakonos had several meanings, remember? Not just officer of a church. It could also be a servant of any kind, an attendant, a waiter or a waitress, or a civil worker, or someone who performed menial tasks like washing feet. It doesn't mean Phoebe had to be the officer of the church. There were five other meanings of the word diakonos. So she could have been any of those. We do believe there's evidence that Phoebe lived in a little port city called Sincrea, which is a suburb of Corinth. And that the church in Sincrea met in her home, Phoebe's house, which would probably meant she hosted them. She was the hostess. She served tables. She did not the officer of the church in Sincrea, but the hostess of the church in her home in Sincrea. So most likely that's that's most likely what she she probably did. Here's another another thought about Phoebe as a woman deacon in chapter 16, verse 1. The feminine word for diakonos had not formed yet in the Greek language by the time 1 Timothy was written. You had only the male version of a diakonos, masculine. So Phoebe is called a masculine diakonos. 
because there was no word for woman diakonos whenever it was written. So, you look at Phoebe, that really is not a strong case that, oh, for women deacons, because you have the qualifications in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, and you have the other meanings of diakonos that could have applied to Phoebe in Sincrea. So, some people may say, well, pastor, didn't God intend for us to, does he intend for us to be that legalistic? I mean, about scripture, I mean, what's wrong with having women deacons or women pastors? It's, okay, it's mentioned in that qualification there in 1 Timothy. It's an ancient book. Do we have to be that legalistic about every single qualification? Well, okay, I think you do. But let's say you don't. Then let's relax what it says about homosexuality and just say it's okay then to be homosexuals. Or let's just relax where it says don't commit adultery and everybody can commit adultery. Or let's just relax the passage then that says Jesus is the only way of salvation and let's say Muhammad's the way of salvation. You see, either you believe that Scripture is the final authority on all matters or you don't. And either you follow it or you don't. So I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody. My job is to follow Scripture. What the boss told us to do is what we're going to fulfill. So it's not that we're non-progressive. It's not that we're haters. It's not that we're against anybody. It's just that we feel like we need to follow Scripture as closely as we possibly can as to what God's given us. Now, the last one before we close, deacons at First Baptist Church. We have 120 active deacons here at First Baptist. They, they do things like their servants. They visit members of our church on a rotation basis. They visit them in their homes. They make calls to them. Those, especially those that are going through hard times, been in the hospitals, death of a loved one. Whenever there's an especial need, our ministers do as well, but so do our deacons. They call them as well. We've got, they visit rehab centers, nursing homes, private homes. They serve as crossing guards on Sundays, getting people back and forth safely across the roads. They help serve meals on Wednesday nights. They have a prayer ministry here at First Baptist Church. They help with special events that we may have. They have building projects. There are needs in the community. We have some of our deacons who will get on gloves and old clothes, and they'll go take care of them. Building projects, if they're physically able to do it, they serve the Lord's Supper. Any way they can serve in servants' roles is what deacons do here at First Baptist Church. And let me say this before I close about the deacons here at First Baptist Church. We have some of the best men I've known in my life who are deacons here at First Baptist. I love them to death. They're very supportive. They're loving. They feel fulfill what Scripture tells them to do. They're servants. They're true servants. Some of the best deacons I've ever worked with in my ministry and ever known are members of First Baptist Church. you got some good men here who serve. And so I, I thank God for them and know that God will lead us to other deacons that qualify, that fit this, fit this bill, and um, uh, will continue to serve as you nominate them. Had a church call me uh, several years ago and said, uh, we are a small church, we don't have many members, and we need some deacons, but nobody qualifies in our church. Not one man qualifies what do we do? I said, you don't ordain any. You don't ordain them. And you pray 
that some of those men would be convicted to start qualifying. But you never lower the standards of qualifications. Once you do, anything goes. Don't lower the standards. You just pray that the men in your church will become qualified before God. But you don't lower the standards. God's given them to us for a reason. Well, let's pray together. We'll close. If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to see me afterwards or um, you can email me. I'm always open to those as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for the office of pastor and deacon that you've given as gifts to churches to help lead your people into the ways of God, into the truth of God, teaching the truth of God, living the truth of God, and serving in the way that we should. Father, thank you for the deacons who serve here at First Baptist Church. I love them. I thank you for them, godly men who love you. And Lord, I just pray for those that you want to be as deacons here in the future. May they qualify, may they walk with you and serve you the way that you want. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Have a good week.